0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Great to have you with us. Let's get into the headlines this hour.
1: Iran retaliates, firing over a dozen ballistic missiles at two U.S. bases inside Iraq, all of this in response to the death of Qasem Soleimani.
0: Stocks across Asia sell off on the news flow while oil and gold surge, but do trim gains as President Trump tweets, quote, all is well amid fears of a widespread war in the Middle East.
2: Well, against this backdrop, a Ukrainian Airlines Boeing 737 crashes in Iran shortly after takeoff due to technical problems, with all 170 passengers on board killed, according to Iranian state media.
3: And fugitive Carlos Ghosn prepares to give his first press conference since fleeing trial in Japan as the ex-auto chief's legal team hits out at Nissan, accusing the automaker of perversion of truth.
0: All right, good morning, everybody. Let's bring you uh, immediately up to date on the latest on this story in Iran. The country has launched over a dozen missiles against at least two U.S. military bases in Iraq in retaliation for the death of Qassem Soleimani. The Revolutionary Guards claimed responsibility for the attack, according to state media. Foreign Minister Jabhat Zarif said Tehran does not seek war, but will, quote, defend ourselves against any aggression. All is well. That was the message from President Trump following the attacks. The U.S. leader also announced he will be making a statement later this morning. The U.S. Department of Defense said the strikes targeted U.S. and coalition forces in Iraq and that the bases had been on high alert in recent days.
3: The U.S. Federal Aviation Authority has banned American carriers from flying over Iraqi and Iranian airspace following this morning's missile strikes. The regulators cited heightened military activities and increased political tensions in the region, which they said posed a risk to civil aviation.
2: Okay, let's take a look at the market's walls. And look, let's just get something uh, straight from the start here as well. We haven't met one market commentator in the 48 hours that we've been on air this week so far, the two days we've been on air that have said this is how you trade this situation, i.e. most commentators we've spoken to are either completely staying away from the geopolitical situation or are saying uh, they are sticking with their medium to long-term calls regardless of this as well. So very interesting to see people are sticking with their mantra that this is not an event to be traded. Uh, in the meantime, the Asian indices are looking uh, like this. We have the Hang Seng down 1%. The Nikkei down 1.5%, the Shanghai Composite down 1.14%. The oil price looks like this. Again, it is moving in a northerly direction, but two points. One, it is a modest move on the day. Two, we haven't, as you can see from that weekly chart on Brent to the right, we haven't as of yet hit the highs that we hit in the aftermath uh, of the killing of Qasem Soleimani as well. Again, certain asset classes are deemed to be safe havens. One of them is gold. And last night in the US, we saw it hitting uh, a seven-year high back to April 2013 highs. As you can see this morning, busting through even those highs of the last 24 hours, 15.93 for spot gold. The US dollar, again, I would suggest to you a very stable pair versus the Japanese yen, but a beta by 0.12 of 1%. Uh, And elsewhere, we can see the treasury yield falling as the underlying treasury note increases in value. The futures for the US markets. So we have declines called at the open, 220 points for the Dow Jones, the S&P down 14 points. This on the back of yesterday's moves where the Dow fell 120 points and the S&P down nine points as well. So Hadley joins us now from Beirut. And Hadley, I guess we're waiting to see what the damage assessment is from the Pentagon, from the administration as well, before we, uh, I guess, see some reaction to these missile attacks from the US. Good morning to you.
1: Good morning, Steve. That's absolutely right. We still haven't heard that assessment of what exactly happened at these two U.S. bases inside Iraq. They were hit by over a dozen ballistic missiles. That tweet from the president seeming to suggest earlier this morning uh, following those attacks that, quote, all was well. Now, we've heard in recent uh, hours from the Tehran folks, they were saying, you know, as many as 80 Americans were killed in these attacks, we haven't been able to verify that yet, either from the State Department, the Defense Department or the White House. So all eyes, of course, will be on what the president says later today and hopefully uh, some more clarity in terms of that assessment of the damage. Now, the FAA in the hours after this attack, which took place around 2 a.m. local time, they came out immediately saying they don't want U.S. aircraft flying over the region. We're talking the Persian Gulf, Iraq, Iran, uh, the Gulf of Oman as well. Um, We haven't heard similar responses yet from the Gulf Arab carriers, like Etihad, like Emirates, Qatar Airways. We haven't heard anything from them, at least so far. Some Asian carriers also weighing in there, uh, deciding to to move things around so that they weren't flying over that airspace. All of that could have significant implications uh, for a country like the UAE. Obviously, they have the biggest international uh, transport center in Dubai in in the region, so that could have potential implications for them there. Also, I want to point out uh, the accuracy that we saw at those ab cake attacks last year, the accuracy of their ability to hit 14 separate points at the abcake facility. We brought those pictures to you in, in the days following that attack has really given a lot of U.S. officials apparently cause for pause here, because it seems as if uh, the Iranians have vastly been able to improve the accuracy of their ballistic missile program. And that's something that we could see reflected in the coming days, not just in the attacks today, but in potential further attacks on down the pike, because it doesn't mean just because that they responded today that this is the only thing that we're going to see from Tehran. Remember yesterday we heard from the Iranian regime, they said something like, 13 separate retaliatory measures were on the table and being discussed. Perhaps this is just the first two of many. So certainly something that folks in the region, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, uh, sitting at Aramco and Adnoc, certainly they've got to have plans in place for any potential fallout here, but also more broadly uh, the region itself. It seems as if at the moment the Iranians are sticking to what they said that they were going to do. Those comments echoed by Hassan Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah, as well. They were not going to target U.S. uh, folks in the region, Americans in the region. They were only going to focus on uh, hitting the U.S. military. And it seems at least so far that they're sticking to their word. Guys?
0: Hadley, let me just pick up on a couple of those points there. Um, As you've been speaking, we've seen the Iraqi military put out its own statement on Reuters suggesting that there were 22 missiles fired, which takes up the count that we saw initially. The Foreign Minister of Iran has made remarks suggesting that this is the proportionate response. Now, obviously, the next question for our audience to try to get to the heart of is what would come next here, whether this was perceived as the measured and proportionate response from the Iranians. And then the the supplementary question, I guess, based on who you're talking to and what you're hearing, is there any intention, do you think, from Washington to respond to these missiles with a follow-up attack of their own?
1: I would even turn that question around. Was this a proportionate response for um, the death of Qasem Soleimani? I mean, we're talking about someone who was, in fact, uh, you know, at the center of not just a vast network of Iranian proxies and state and non-state actors for decades and who, frankly, handed the Iranians the, the biggest club that they have to play, frankly, when it comes to regional dominance. Taking out or attacking two U.S. military bases in Iraq—is that really the proportionate response here? So that would be one question. Um, and I think certainly in Washington, they are going to be looking at every single scenario here as to how they're how best to play this out. We knew in the in the days of leading up that this was going to be um, a, not a question of if, but a question of when and how. Um, difficult they were going to make this for the U.S. administration. Again and again, we've heard from the Trump administration folks saying, you know, they don't want a war. They want to have some kind of a dialogue. People talk about the Trump doctrine, particularly in the Middle East, you know, and and frankly, what we've seen him when we've seen him dealing with the North Koreans, when we've seen him dealing with the Chinese, hit him hard in the beginning and then back off. A lot of folks, you know, speaking to me privately, uh, coming from the Gulf Arab countries in particular, they say that they are laying low here because they actually believe um, in the fact that the Trump administration does, in fact, potentially have a plan here for what we're going to see playing out over the next uh, days to months to years, because this isn't a situation that's going to go away anytime soon. So in terms of the response uh, to a potential, and we don't know this yet, I do want to reiterate this, we still haven't heard that assessment of what exactly happened at those bases, at least from the American side. But if there is the potential that U.S. lives were lost here, that does escalate the situation yet again. And you've got to wonder what kind of plans are in place uh, from the United States to address that. Guys.
2: Hadley, just uh, one more uh, facet to this as well. The other event which has perhaps been underreported is the huge shuttle diplomacy going on from Emmanuel Macron as well, who has been speaking to uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al-Nayan, a man you know from the UAE, speaking to the Iraqi president. But now we understand speaking to Rouhani as well. Diplomatic efforts to find a way through this as well are going on as well. Any comment on how that's going and likelihood of getting the two very uh, entrenched sides, not necessarily to the table, but to, to step back a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not in anyone's interest, whether we're sitting here in Beirut, whether we're sitting in Riyadh, um, the UAE as well, to see any kind of an escalation in this conflict. Everybody loses in this situation for the broader region as well, because any Problems with oil prices, any problems in the Persian Gulf that has a knock on effect, as you guys very well know, to countries like Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, et cetera. So nobody wants this to be escalated. And if they're not having a direct lines of communication, we do know that they are certainly talking uh, through proxies and through uh, shuttle diplomacy, if you will. And they have been doing so, and they will continue to do so, no doubt. Because I think what's been very interesting to watch over the last year or so is, you know, the initial, um, you know, whiz and bang surrounding the election of Donald Trump making his first foreign policy visit. Of foreign visit uh, as president to Saudi Arabia. I think that the the tone has changed uh, in the years following that visit in the sense that uh, the Gulf Air countries have a much clearer eyed view of what they can expect or not expect from the U.S. president, from the administration. They can definitely expect some kind of support. And we saw that, of course, following the Aramco attacks. But in terms of that longer term strategy, I think you're seeing these conversations happening at a much higher level now as a result of the fact that they just can't predict what the president's gonna do next.
3: Hadley, let me ask you about oil markets because we have seen a reaction in recent days on fears that perhaps there may be some form of supply disruption. What we've seen overnight uh, based on reports is that it's only been military installations targeted, not oil supplies at this point. But there have been a number of different reports about companies from Chevron to a Chinese company to uh, China National Petroleum Corp pulling a small number of staff from facilities in Iraq. So what is the potential for some disruption to the oil supply coming from Iraq?
1: Well, what we know so far um, is something that we've been reporting on, as you know, for the last couple of months in particular, and something that I asked His Royal Highness the Saudi oil minister about as well, which was that the proximity of the short-range ballistic missiles uh, that were placed in Iraq that we got um, intelligence on just a month or so ago, that puts them well in line, not just obviously the folks in Basra, um, the IOCs in Basra, but also the Aramco facilities, the adduct facilities in the UAE as well, that entire region uh, is vulnerable now to ballistic missile attacks. And I think that's something that they've already put in play in terms of their, you know, uh, disaster case scenarios. That's something that they've had to, to, to put to the table and to really start working through. And of course, we're told behind the scenes that that's something that they think about on a daily basis as a result of, frankly, um, the accuracy of uh, Iran's ballistic missile program that we didn't really, I think, realize until we saw the significance uh, and the major hits on Epcaic facilities last year.
0: Hadley, we're going to wrap it with you there. We'll catch up with you a little later on for updates. Thank you very much for that, for the time being. Um, Obviously, uh, there are airlines in the region that are changing flight plans. And if you are set to travel through the Middle East, you probably need to check with your agent or check online. Um, Just to bring you up to date with what we're hearing from Emirates, Uh, they say flights from Dubai to Baghdad and from Baghdad to uh, Dubai um, have been cancelled for operational reasons. They are monitored monitoring developments and are in close contact with relevant government authorities with regards to those flights and the safety of crew and aircraft but as I say probably wise in the circumstances uh, just to get, get an update from your own carrier if you are set to travel in the region at this point the oil story I thought was interesting here I mean obviously we look at these financial market instruments things like the oil price the gold price equity market performance in Asia at this hour to give us a sense of just how edgy and nervous the investment community is at this point, obviously large amounts of money are moving at this stage to try to anticipate or at least nullify potential losses if there is any further escalation at this point. I think the critical question still remains, was this the proportionate response? Or as Hadley seems to be implying at this point, plans are being made elsewhere or further reaction to the death of this important military figure. Just,
2: um, I have no comment. I know, Obviously, wouldn't have any insight into what the proportional response from Tehran would be. No. But on the oil price, um, once upon a time, we would have been shooting 10% higher on Brent, on the back of this. We would be up to you know, $80 a barrel, what have you. No doubt about it. But there are two factors. One of course, within OPEC and its allies, and one, of course, about Shell. It's blatantly obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. The fact is, at the last OPEC meeting late last year in December, they were taking oil off the table because they are concerned about a supply glut. So hence, OPEC has it within its own remit to put that oil back on the table should... Uh, there'd be an issue about Iraqi oil, Iranian oil or wherever it may well be in that region. The second point, of course, and it's it's, it's very obvious to state, but I'm going to state it anyway, shale oil will be turned on. More facilities, more investment will go back into it the higher the price. Hence, you have another automatic stabiliser there. So you have an internal one within the Middle East and within the allies of those Middle Eastern players. And you have the external one from the likes of shale.
3: If you cast dry across a number of different asset classes that would typically be reacting, it's not just the oil price where you've seen a very mild reaction. Gold is about the concentration of the focus for investors concerned about the story. We have seen that escalation to this seven-year peak that's been witnessed in recent days and sessions on the gold price. But the 10-year Treasury yield, typically a go-to as well. The US bond market, not much of a move there. We're still very much in the range of where we've been traveling in recent weeks. On the dollar-yen trade, barely a move uh, beyond the, the current range as well. And the US stock market just pulling back a, a fraction of a very modest dip. So I would question whether the oil price reaction is also uh, symbolic of the fact that you've just got broad-based complacency on markets out there. You're not getting any reaction because everybody's invested on this global recovery trade. And everybody is talking about the fact that Trump's motivation is not to start a war because it's the US election. Given all the factors.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I would say rational at this point. I mean, just to come back and and nip the two points that you've made together here, Um, just doing a bit of work on this and looking at what the trigger price is for something that looks like recessionary conditions or is likely to push the United States into an economic corner. $95 a barrel is the number that most of the analysts seize upon when they look at the precedent for recessionary conditions being triggered by higher energy prices. We know that the rising price represents a tax on uh, countries uh, and on the global economy. I guess the, the the interesting philosophical question is: given the amount of shale oil in the United States now, are, is that price going to change? Is there some difference in the impact on the United States? But ninety-five dollars a barrel is the one that people look as a trigger, look at as a trigger number. And just to just to sort of th- throw a few more. Uh, issues into this. I suspect that actually as many people looking at whether to get on board equities for the early part of this year, I think they'll be looking more closely possibly at the ADP number we get out of the United States today rather than fixating on what's going on with the Iran story in in the medium term. you look at
2: the last two days' data? It's been rather good on the non-manufacturing front. I'll just remind viewers of this as well, because I know Karen will cover it later on, but uh, the market services PMI that we first saw um, came in at 52.8 this week, as opposed to 51.6, a better-than-expected figure. Now we've had the non-manufacturing ISM as well to 55 in December from 53.9. You mentioned the ADP, which is the precursor, of course, to the payroll figure we have on Friday. But, and again... These the swallows do not make a summer, but they are mildly positive service sector data.
3: I just want to pick up on your number, a no. tipping point of recession around oil prices. Is it the same thing as it used to be? For instance, there are a lot yes. other alternatives now for the consumer. If you think about electric vehicles, hybrid vehicles, would a propeller push into that type of energy transition for, for consumers if you saw such an escalation in the oil <laughs> price? These days on air travel, many different competitors out there, airlines, decision not even to travel at this point corporate budgets. They want to be trimming back those budgets, not spending it on air travel anyway. So I question whether that 90 plus handle on oil would trigger a whole bunch of different reactions. So, so,
0: I mean, I'll defer to my oil expert on my left here, but The fact is that even as we move to these alternatives and transitional fuels, the amount of oil that economies like China are consuming is only going up because of the growth of China. And and when you look at, I mean, this is a fascinating story, which I think gets underreported. But when you look at the commodity demand that China was putting in through orders in the latter part of the year, it's actually increasing on a year-on-year basis rather than declining, even as we fixate on this 6% growth number and whether that's going to slip away here. So as much as um, I think we all appreciate that there is a growing role for these transitional fuels and for renewables, the world still loves its oil.
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, look, let's... um Let's, let's take both of those points on point, if I may. You're both right, of course. Uh, and the estimates from the likes of the BP Statistical Review, the IEA, the EIA, and the likes of OPEC all see peak oil demand at some stage between 2025 and 2040. I think we're roughly in that range. So for the next 20 years... We're going to, in that next 20 years, almost certainly, according to the experts, we're going to see some form of peak oil demand, which will be at some level of between 110 and 120 million barrels a day equivalent. We are currently consuming around the globe approximately 100 million barrels a day of product equivalent. So they will still remain a very large part, as you say, in the energy mix. But I, I take your point on board fully as well. This will only um, give heart to those looking to look for alternatives that look better value compared to hydrocarbons. Um, Another incredible story, a tragic story coming out of the region today, and that is that a Ukrainian international airlines flight uh, carrying some 170 passengers, I've got some clarity on those numbers as well, has crashed shortly after taking off from Tehran airport, killing everyone on board. Now, this is according to Iranian state television and a Ukrainian official. It was a Boeing 737 flight to Kiev, which reportedly crashed and burst into flames due to technical issues. Okay, No one's making a a correlation between this and geopolitical events. But Boeing says it is gathering more information on the crash. The Playmaker 737, again, a really important point, is different from its newer 737 MAX model. So this isn't, we understand. A 737 MAX issue and does not include the flight control software implicated in, of course, last year's two tragic crashes. And I just got that little bit more information that I said for you as well. The Ukrainian prime minister uh, is reported on Reuters as saying 167 passengers and nine crew members were on board the Iran flight, citing preliminary data. Uh, the Iranian, big pardon, the Ukrainian prime minister says Ukrainian consul is at the crash site, and they are currently clarifying the number of Ukrainian citizens on board. But a, a devastating roster of news coming out of Tehran and the Iranian region. And of course, dare I say it as well, which probably wouldn't be reported normally on Channel. There were earthquakes uh, in Iran overnight as well, and we don't know about any death toll there. Plus, at the Soleimani uh, funeral. Uh, There was a crush and there were deaths there as well. So, I mean, a whole litany of worrying and tragic news coming out of the whole region.
0: Uh, 22 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. Uh, Coming up on the programme, a mixed bag then for Samsung as operating profit falls, but beats forecasts. We'll have a look at those numbers when we return.
3: And opening calls are looking soggy as we gear up for the start of trade, suggesting a give back for what was uh, somewhat of a recovery story across the European markets yesterday, particularly for the DAX in the trade that was... Up about uh, three quarters, one percent, 109 to the downside anticipated today.
2: If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out The Brave Ones podcast.
0: Welcome back, everybody. Tesla's market value has hit another milestone, rising just above $84 billion, which represents nearly as much as Ford and General Motors combined. Shares in the electric uh, car maker moved higher following its high profile rollout in China. The CEO, Elon Musk, danced his way through a presentation at a new factory in Shanghai, where he also announced the launch of Tesla's Model Y SUV in the market. No reports as to whether. He was assisted by substances. Oh, my God. No-one like, has said that. No-one no, has is, said that, that is, at all. Do you all. know, but I, look I haven't at seen Elon a dance Musk. like... Look at him go.
2: I haven't seen a bad <laughs> dance like that from a senior US corporate figure since <laughs> Steve Bauma at the launch of Windows 95. Do you remember that one? <laughs> yes, I do. Steve but ba- if you want to see an equally bad... Oh, my God. This is just, better
3: than Theresa May's uh, robot dance, though, at the Tory party conference. Oh, yes it's it a is. little bit of a bop. No, sort but of it does you
2: of... Theresa May, Yeah.
0: Doesn't it remind you of every group of dads at every wedding reception you've been to when it gets to that certain point in the evening where they start to put on some of the 80s He's kits. taking his
2: coat. Oh, no, I hope this isn't the strip. Yeah. Seriously? Do He's doing some... No, no, please never come off these pictures. I mean, <laughs> God, I think the world needs a bit of light so relief, a, doesn't so it?
3: So a jig for the Gigafactory, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and nice. Let's push on to hey, Samsung. I they come off those pictures? <laughs> we'll see them again later, don't worry. I'm sure that will... Anyway, if viewers bought.
2: want the reference point, have a look at Steve Ballmer dancing at the launch of Windows 95. We want to take it Quite to
3: Samsung's operating profit, which likely fell 34% in the fourth quarter, marking the fifth consecutive quarterly decline. But the guidance is better than analysts' broadcast, sending the stock higher. Let's get it to Sherry for more live from Hong Kong. Sherry, a number of analysts are trying to read into the Samsung numbers to determine whether the downturn in memory chips is now over. The question I have is whether what we're seeing in Samsung's fortunes is about them positioning to pick up business from Huawei that's been impacted by the trade fight with the United States, or is it about a turn that we're seeing in the cycle for the industry?
4: Interesting question, Karen, because the street is certainly divided on that. Some say it's really the, uh, you know, Samsung Electronics are taking advantage of the void alleged void that Huawei and its, uh, well, tensions, I should say, with the United States has left the market with, or uh, that it's not really the case. Uh, You know, Huawei has strong presence in the Chinese market, and Samsung is not exactly doing that in that particular market. So they're just doing their own things. So uh, we don't really have a clear answer at this point, regarding that specific question, but sure, when it comes to that beat, when it comes to uh, Samsung Electronics, Samsung Electronics Q4 earnings guidance, certainly that can actually fuel that optimism. That is very much at play uh, in the markets these days. That uh, things are going to, uh, you know, turn for the better in 2020. It's sort of like what we were talking about a year ago, saying that this recovery scenario will happen in the second half of last year, 2019. There has been a delay because of the US-China trade war and we'll see how things actually pick up in 2020. Uh, a number of analysts are saying that the supply cuts that uh, tech took place quite aggressively uh, by some of the you know largest players in that industry in 2019 are now taking effect and also Demand is coming back. Inventory is clearing out and also new markets rolling out 5G networks as well in 2020. And perhaps that's the reason why Samsung Electronics, along with it's a South Korean chip making SK Hynix bucking the trend of the day on a day like this. I think it's pretty meaningful.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com.
3: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.